So thanks for letting me preach today before my installation. It's next week. Be sure to come. Wine and cheese, I hear. Uh, Matt's not here because he's actually at the ordination and installation of your former vicar, Ulrich. So be sure to send him prayers uh, and encouragement that the Lord may open doors for Ulrich to preach the gospel. For the past few weeks, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And if you haven't noticed, Paul is quite the wordsmith. He thinks before he writes, and every word he says has a purpose. The question we're going to be looking at today in the last section of his letter to the Colossians is this. What does it look like when Christ is at work in and through our words, often despite ourselves? A quick caveat, I'm not just talking about spoken words here. I'm talking about the written word. I'm talking about the texted word. I'm talking about the posted and tweeted word. I'm talking about words that are through sign. I'm talking about all the words and forms of communication we use, including body language. No matter what level or ability you have with the spoken word, or no matter what vocation you're in, the word is working in and through you in the words that you speak, type, tweet, etc. Fun opener for today. I'm going to ask you a question in a moment. What is your favorite word or phrase? What's a word or phrase that brings you joy, makes you laugh, makes you think, gets you to think profound thoughts maybe? Think about this because I'm going to ask you to share it with your neighbor around you in a moment. And if you can't think of your favorite word or phrase, just share the word amen. So right now to your neighbor, I want you to share your favorite word or phrase. Go ahead. If you're at home, grab someone on the street outside your house, just yell a random word at them. I, I hope you realize I want positive words, just a little caveat there, all appropriate ones, right? <laughs> well, it sounds like we've got some good words and phrases that are bringing some people joy out there in the congregation. I'm going to share some of my favorite words and phrases from around the world that I've, I've worked into my vocabulary throughout the years. My first one that I'm going to put up is a word. It's a German word called Kummerspeck. I think I'm saying that right, Kummerspeck, which literally means grief bacon. This is the food that you eat emotionally. This is my favorite kind of food. I think it's the only kind of food I eat. I am an emotional eater. Grief bacon. It not only means the food that you eat emotionally, it's also the weight that you gain eating emotionally. And I've got a bit of grief bacon, Kummerspeck. The second word I want to throw at you is a Korean word called nunchi. And this is the subtle and often unnoticed art of listening and then engaging in another person's mood. I am not the best at this. You can talk to my wife back there. She'll tell you James is not very good at this, but I'm working on it. And now that I have a word that describes it, 
I'm going to start using it in my vocabulary more. It's a very gospel, grace-filled word. The subtle art of listening to others and engaging in their emotions. This next one I said a lot when I was at the National Youth Gathering. There were 20,000 people, most of them youth. I said this one a lot. It's a Polish idiom, not my circus, not my monkeys, which basically means this is not my problem, this is someone else's, I don't have to deal with it. I didn't say it about our youth group, but if I did, and I was just turned to Laura and said, those are your monkeys. This next one, I really like this phrase. I learned it the other day. It's an Arabic idiom that translates, give the bread to the baker. And this basically means give the responsibility and to the job to the people who are prepared to do it, the ones who know what they're doing. I'm going to give the bread to the baker in a little bit, but don't worry. God's the real baker and he's working in you and through you, you're going to be able to do it. Finally, my favorite phrase of all time. It hasn't always been my favorite phrase, but over the past six years, since I became a vicar and then a pastor, I got to say this over and over every week. I forgive all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is my favorite phrase. And I'm going to give the bread to the baker right now. I want you all to turn to someone in this congregation, look them in the eye, and give them the good news. The words are on the screen. I want you to say these words to someone next to you. All your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and do it. Now, I, I feel a little left out. That was beautiful and amazing, and I love hearing that. I love seeing that, but I need it too. Can you all turn to me, look me in the eye, and say with me, all your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I needed that. I need it every day. It's okay to ask people for it. God is at work in and through our words. Those were performative words. Those are words that do something. Kind of like when a pastor says, I now pronounce you man and wife. In the right context, those are performative words. They accomplish something. And our question today is what does it look like when Christ is at work in and through my words? To use an English idiom, we just got the tip of the iceberg just now saying those words to each other. In Paul's letters to the Colossians, we see a master of words at work. Throughout his letter, he has carefully chosen his words for specific people at a specific time with a specific purpose. We can really see the Holy Spirit at work in Paul's words. And in this last section of his letter, we're going to see God's word at work through words 
in three different ways, specifically three ways that Paul talks about. So let's jump right in. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So the first way that we're going to see Paul talk about words and we're going to see Christ at work in words in this section of his letter is through prayer. Words and prayer go hand in hand. In fact, Christ gave us specific words to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And if you weren't here for the sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, I guess about a month and a half ago, you really should go back and listen to that series. It's really good. We break down the specific words that Christ called us to pray. But Paul, like Christ, is very intentional and specific with his prayer. He chooses his words wisely. And if you remember, when Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, where is he? In prison. Chained to a wall, most likely. Eyesight failing. Not even able to write out an entire letter. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, and you probably are, if you were in prison like Paul on account of the gospel, you might be crying out to God and, and crying out to other Christians, asking them to pray to God to do what? Open the door to your cell and let you free. And we know it's in his power. We've seen it in scripture. We've seen the doors of literal prison cells opened up for his people. But is that what Paul choosing his words wisely, asks brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for him. No, he says that God may open to us a door for the word. Not to his prison. He's asking God and asking others to pray for an opportunity to share the word, share the gospel, the good news. When Jesus is over my words, when he is over my prayers, we pray for more gospel, more good news for ourselves, but more importantly, more good news for others and opportunities to give them that good news. And that brings us to the second thing that Paul is concerned with about our words, and that's our witness to others he says in Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. We should walk in wisdom towards outsiders. When Paul says outsiders, we saw it in the other translation we read, this is people outside of the Christian faith, people who do not have their trust and fear placed in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever interacted with these people? It's the majority of people that I talk to outside of this building, and sometimes it's people within this building. We are constantly interacting with outsiders. And our words are an integral part of this witness. Paul has serious concern for how our words and actions, our witness interacts with 
outsiders. Remember, he calls in his prayer for opportunities to speak to outsiders. He also says that we need to think before we speak, listen before we speak. And when we do speak to outsiders, not waste the opportunity. I'm going to put some names on the board right here, and, and, and I'm, I've pulled these all out of the last section of our reading, the last part of chapter 4. We've got Paul, we've got Tychicus, Onesimus, Mark, Barnabas, Justus, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nympha, Archippus. These are special words. These are names. A name is a word that carries with it a life, a story, a narrative. You know this if you've ever tried to name a baby and you go through those baby books with all the names and, and there's a lot of weight attached to the different names. And if you're a teacher like I was, there are certain names that you're never going to name a child because you had that kid. There's weight with names, isn't there? There's stories associated with them and each one of these names has a story. You might recognize some of these names. Onesimus, if you read the letter Philemon, you know that Onesimus was a runaway slave who Paul interacted with and used words with. And a little more context, he's probably the one carrying this letter back to the Colossians. You might recognize the name Luke, a physician. He's the author of the Gospel of Luke, part one and part two, which we call the Book of Acts. You might recognize another name in there, Mark. He's the author of the Gospel of Mark, who we learned in the Gospel of Luke, part two, which we call Acts, had a falling out with Paul. Mark and Paul had a big argument. But we see here that something has been reconciled. And I guarantee you, words were part of the process. We've also got Nympha, who provided a home where people could come and hear the word. All of these stories are interwoven, but ultimately they are united by Christ. And there's another thing about all these names up there. At one point, they were all outsiders just like you and me. But what brought them from outsider to people of the faith, people in the body of Christ? It was the word proclaimed through our words. I want you to notice, too, that words kind of multiply. Paul's letter is being handed to other churches, and those letters passed on to other ones, so much so that now we have millions of copies of his letters and we have read them for a thousand years and more the words you and i say multiply if you've got little children you know if you say something they're going to repeat it and that's how the gospel goes too our words have power. They are a constant reflection on the body of Christ, and as such, they need to reflect who Christ is. And that brings us to our third point. Paul is concerned that our words be full of grace, love. 
Specifically, he says that our words should be gracious. In Colossians 4, 6, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our words need to be gracious, and our actions need to be gracious. And what is grace? Unearned gifts. That means that we do not withhold the good news, waiting for people who deserve it. We don't withhold the love and forgiveness and joy in our words for people who have earned it and deserved it because Christ did not withhold his gifts for us because we don't deserve them. So our words should be always gracious, he says. We haven't earned any of the promises from God, so we can actually give them out freely too. Have you ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed in an angry way? I have. I've done it. In my youth, I was in groups where there was a lot of that going on, and I tell you what, my heart kind of hardened every time someone told me about the good news of the forgiveness of sins by condemning me with their anger in their words and tone and actions. You might have also heard the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed without energy in a bland and tasteless way. I've done that too. I've also been in the pew and almost fallen asleep as the good gifts of our Lord and Savior were being proclaimed, but in a bland and tasteless way. I'm going to throw another idiom on the screen. This is one from Koine Greek, ancient Greek, the Greek that Paul's letter was written in, and it's a phrase, seasoned with salt. Again, don't talk to my wife about this one, but I like to uh, consider myself an amateur professional chef. I've never actually worked in a professional kitchen, but I have watched a lot of TV shows about how, it, how it's done. And one of the things I've learned is that when you make a soup or a complicated dish, you season along the way a little bit of salt all the way through the recipe, not a bunch at the end. So as you make your soup and you saute your onions, a little bit of salt. As you add the carrots and the celery, a little bit of salt. As you add the meat, a little bit of salt. It's one of the secret keys to professional cooking. We should be the same way with our speech with people. Every single ingredient, every word, every phrase, every interaction should be sprinkled with salt, well-seasoned with grace and love and the gospel. Amen? This also means that we don't have to be boring and bland in our words and in our sharing of the gospel. We can be excited, joyful. We can have fun. We can be well-seasoned. The gospel has depth of flavor. It's beautiful seasoning. 
Use it liberally. Like salt, this is another thing in cooking, you don't always notice when it's there. But people notice when it's not there. Amen? So if you're doing this right, people aren't always going to pick up on it, but they really notice when you have no grace in your language and words. We want to avoid that. Because we have an ultimate purpose. Paul gives us a purpose for these three things. There's a purpose for why we pray a certain way and why we witness and why we have gracious speech peppered with love. And what is the purpose of Paul's words? He's always got a purpose. He is a wordsmith. It is that Christ may be known. He shows this in his prayer request that he'll have opportunities to speak to outsiders about the gospel. He shows this in his concern for our witness and his call for gracious and well-seasoned words accompanied by deeds rooted in love. It's all so that Christ may be known, so that the good news of Jesus Christ may be known. I want you to remember the words of St. John in the first chapter of his gospel. And these will kind of mirror and echo what Paul writes earlier in Colossians. John 1, 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the Word of God. The Word of God made flesh. All of Paul's words in his letters ultimately point towards Christ. All things were made through him and for him, and so should our words. The purpose of our words should be to make the word, Christ, the good news, as clear as possible. This happens through prayer, witness, and love that is gracious and seasoned with salt. Amen? I'm going to throw some pictures up here. I actually got to go to the youth gathering, too. If you were on Instagram, you, you, you probably saw me. I posted quite a few selfies. Selfies. That was my goal at the youth gathering, was to take as many selfies as possible with all of my friends that I've made over the past 40 years in the Lutheran Church. And I tell you what, it's been a rough few months. Just, just moving to a completely new state, wrapping up a life at one place and starting one in a new place. But I got to see people from my old life, my current life, and the life I'm going to have. And I put my arm around each of these people and took a selfie with them. And I got to speak gracious, well-seasoned gospel words to them. And you know what was beautiful? They spoke them to me too. There is something about being told, I love you, you got this, and Christ is with you. 
from dozens of people. And there's something about 20,000 people in a stadium all professing their faith through the Apostles' Creed, through songs, through the Lord's Prayer, uh, through this guy leading us in music. It was pretty amazing. I'm still tired and my ears hurt, but it was beautiful. 20,000 people using their words to point to Christ. And one of the evenings at one of the mass events, one of the speakers talked about how we as Christians are in a unique position. We know the beginning, the garden. It was good and perfect. We know about the fall and Christ's redemption, but we also know the end, the final word on everything. We know that Christ will return and make all things new, buy back every word we've ever spoken. And there will no longer be words that we regret. But the speaker talked about how right now we're living in the middle, between the beginning and between the final end. And our lives are full of middle words. Sadness, anxiety, sickness, poverty, depression, and death. And those middle words tend to dominate our speech with others. But we are called to something different. As Christians, we are free to use final words. Words of love, joy, peace, redemption, reconciliation, and grace. And I want you to think about Paul's final words in his letter to the Colossians. As he sat in prison and chained and living in the middle, in the mess that is the middle, he proclaims some final words. Remember my chains? Grace be with you. Amen? We're going to do something different. Instead of wrapping up with a prayer, I do want to tell you this. May, may the Lord root your words in the word, in Christ. May your well-seasoned final words give a taste of the kingdom to come. And we're going to do something again today. We're going to end with this. I want all of you to proclaim this with me again and say these words on the screen. These final words. Well-seasoned, gracious words. All your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.